The journey to being a successful creative entrepreneur is filled with challenges, hard work, and occasional high points. You have the opportunity to minimize the challenges and hard work by learning from experts, mentors, and leaders that have traveled the same road before you. The Creative Genius Podcast celebrates you and your hard work and helps you shortcut the path to profit and renewed passion. Enjoy this episode with your host, Gail Doby and Aaron Weir, co-founders of Gail Doby Coaching and Consulting. to have our good friend and design extraordinaire Garrison Hollinger join us today to talk about how to start a business in your attic and scale quickly. Garrison's an interior designer with a passion for creating functional, beautiful spaces that are as comfortable as they are impressive. His sharp business acumen and design expertise make him a strong asset in developing unforgettable hospitality experiences and intelligent branding. Garrison's bustling design studio, Garrison Hollinger Interior Design, is located in Portland, Oregon. But before we get started, we'd like to share how you can connect with us. Head on over to our website at gailw.com to learn more about the experiences we offer and to check out our latest blog posts. Be sure to follow gail.w on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, we'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn as well. Garrison, welcome to the call today. We're glad to have you here. And we're going to be talking today about how to start a business in your attic and scale quickly. And we'll probably have a few other things we talk about along the way, including maybe Darcel. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for having me on. And of course, there's always Darcel. Um, maybe Chaps will come up. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> well, we should probably share who Darcel is. Why don't you tell everybody? <gasps> She is. Yes. Well, Darcel is the longest performing, oldest drag queen in America. And she is hails from Portland, Oregon, where I'm at. And I was lucky enough to take you and some of your esteemed clients um, <laughs> to, to see Darcel. And she did, by chance, perform one of her most outstanding performances in Assless Chaps. <laughs> and she's 80 plus she's plus 80 and there was no padding it was skin so i'm not sure during the covid times is that acceptable or not i don't know maybe we'll find out <laughs> i remember getting home from that trip and i decided to tell my kids about it and i was like well so do you know what this is and izzy goes well i just read about the the oldest drag queen there is in the Guinness Book of World Records. And I go, oh, do say, what was her name? And he, she goes, I think her name's Darcel. I said, bingo, that's exactly who I got to see this weekend. So I got no to connect all the dots. Yeah, how awesome is that? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's, that's jaw-dropping. Wow, well, what an introduction, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, why do it the normal way, right? <laughs> Oh, I don't know what normal is, but I don't think we want to be a part of it. Well, I don't think so either. As long as we can have some laughs along the way, we're happy. So well, yeah. talk about some business too, just a little bit. But I just, I think we've been through such an interesting time. And one of the things I love, and I was looking back on our records, you actually started following us in August of 2009 which just blows my mind. We started March 8th of 2008. So this is less than about a year and a half later. And you are, so you've been around us for 11 years and I did not even know that. I was thinking, I know, crazy. And 
I remember that you and I actually met in person. I did not know who you were, had no clue, never really. Why would you? I mean, <laughs> we only have a few thousand people on our list, but I was at market and I remember you were doing a panel with Nick May and then he yes. came down the hallway and you were with him and we met each other for the first time. That was so funny to realize that because you said, oh, you're Gail Dopey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I was a little starstruck. Like, oh, no, no. And no, you're no. like, yeah, it was. And you're like, yes. And take a number. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I thought it was really funny because I loved your story and it just meant so much to me to hear how much you had grown over the years. And we didn't even really realize that we touched you at the beginning of your oh, career. So, and that was so in your much. attic. So talk about that. It, that wasn't the attic. I remember, you know, I had, I started kind of the idea of coming up with being an interior designer was uh, working at a furniture store. And so by 2009, the economy was pretty much in a tank. I mean, for especially for Portland, we were a little bit slower going into the recession and things weren't great. But I thought, you know what, what a great time to reinvent myself. And you were producing these audio series. I always thought it was like a computer-based training, like a CBT, where I could dial in and listen on my own time, which is usually like one or two in the morning, which is kind of my method. And, you know, it's I was shocked. Your whole, I remember your, here's what I remember about the program is you guys were intent on marketing. That's all I heard from you was how to market and how to set fees. And I was, I didn't, I, I wasn't really interested in fees. I, <laughs> I just couldn't comprehend it. So didn't want to, to be honest, <laughs> I didn't, I wanted to do something I love, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to do something I love and I wanted to work with really nice people. That was a big piece. Like I wanted to work with clients that were nice and I, and my clients were just neighbors. I, I, mean, I wasn't really marketing, but I was like, okay, this is pretty interesting. Like I can do this. I work on really nice homes, but that was what, that's what hooked me was your whole spiel and the way you laid out, like, this is how you market and this is how you budget for photo shoots. And I was like, oh my, okay. <laughs> so that's how it started for me with you guys. That is so funny. And then we ran into each other. And of course, now you're famous. <laughs> and you're speaking at market and you've got some other things, which maybe you'll tell us a little bit about later. But I think what is so interesting is to watch how you took your experience from working at Old Navy and took that to build a company. And at one point, what was the highest number of people you had on your team? At Old Navy or... No, actually at your current company. GHID, uh, 32. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so you did that in the course of about 10 years, which is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it, it, it was great. I mean, so the attic was, you know, just carving a space out of my home to figure out like I need a desk and I need to buy a computer. Like my old laptop isn't going to cut it. And it was, you know, I was working part-time at the furniture store and, uh, you know, my first investment was, a, you know, my MacBook. And so I bought that. And I think part of the mindset for me was, you know, it, it was tied back to my corporate days of, you know, I didn't write my own paycheck. I didn't go out and find my own benefits. And I didn't know how to assemble my desk or get the landline or network to work. 
we, we had resources for that. And so I kind of, that was a lot of how I tackle things in my life is you hire an expert. And, you know, I was telling a friend the other day that it's for me, I think the, I tried to figure out how to do the accounting side and QuickBooks. I, I really wasn't into it at all. Um, you know, so my upholstery shop, they told me like, Hey, we know a lady who would do this on the side for you. And so I think I booked her four hours a month. And that was this expert that would come in. And then, you know, she told me, she's like, Hey, there's another lady who could probably actually create invoices instead of you creating these Excel spreadsheet messes. And then me trying to like compute them into an invoice a month later. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, but I think that's, you know, that has always been my mindset is that you gather and you collect the people that support you and they, they also execute something really well and they do it well. So you don't just hire someone to, as a favor because I have done that too and that doesn't work out. You can't help anyone help themselves, right? So it's really trying to bring together and collect and create an organization that you hold accountable and they then deliver. That's really what I base my business on. And so in year 2010, you know, I, because the upholstery shop, they kept telling me like, Garrison, you're onto something like you need to hire someone to help you do these drawings. Like you're, you're not gonna be able to keep up. Like, okay. And so I hired my first part-time employee and that was the first joke. You know, I think the joke through the first years, everyone that came on board was like, oh, okay. So you're going to work 10 or 12 hours a week. And then it would turn to 20 and then 30. And yeah, so that was, and then I think in 2011, I moved out of my attic. Jay was finally, my husband was like, get out. Like all these, you know, beautiful, talented women are coming through the house that were going all the way upstairs in my attic, you know, were sucking away all the internet and the broadband from him. And so that was the start of it. And I think too, that I've always kept in the back of my head that my first office was 500 square feet. And so there's a piece of me and you've been in my office. You know, I, I try to keep things modest. And I, I think I've also been very fiscally sound and trying to be careful with what we have built. And I'm hoping that will help me in the long run as we go through some of these crazy times. Mm. Well, you've had some definite challenges along the way, too. And I know that through this process of growing to 32, you, it's not a straight line. You, Even though you had the experience, I think you said you hired 3,000 people at Old Navy. Was that the number? And so. Yes. Hiring 3,000 people, you get a lot of experience in hiring and also mm-hmm. finding out what people are like and if they fit your culture and if they can do the job and if they are who you want on the team long term. So what do you think has been the most important lesson you've learned through the process of hiring in this particular business? I would say that it really is looking about at compatibility and someone's determination to follow through and be accountable. That those are the biggest pieces. We we have to all be compatible. The staff member, the consultant, whoever they are, they also have to and I, I make a joke about this and I think a lot of people I try to watch their reaction is I mean they're gonna have to put up with me. And it's not always easy. There's gonna be moments of craziness. Sometimes I'll just come, you know, over to your well not right now. It's so different. This is crazy, Gail. But a lot of times I'll just go sit by someone and take up some of their desk space and just kind of butt in, take out the trace paper and sketch with them or annoy them. That's part of my coping mechanism is I have to make things a little bit more interesting and a little fun. And I tell people during the interview process, is like, I, you know, there's parts of me, like there's like a two thirty, three o'clock moment. I, I have to be a little cuckoo. <laughs> and that's just part of my coping mechanism. 
And, and other employees will tell you that. And they'll, and even vendors. I had a vendor last night who was checking on me and he's like, how are you doing in the afternoon? It's like, are you drinking now? Cause before you didn't have to drink to be crazy. <laughs> like, uh, but you know, and also I would tell you that in hiring someone, and again, I think right now, especially in talking about hiring is, is that we're not, you don't need to bring someone on full-time probably at a full salary. There's a lot of opportunity in bringing someone on who's an expert at something they do that you need that you only need a measured amount of time. And that's really what I think has helped us the long run is in these interviews, I don't always redirect people. If they start telling a story and it's hypothetical or a what if, or I could, then I always stop people and I redirect them during the interview. Hey, can you tell me about an actual moment? And I think I've laid out for you some of my interview tips, like Mm -hmm. where we just, we start digging in, you know, we're like, tell us a really great success point in your career. And those lead to great questions. I think it's great that what you did. I remember we were sitting in Las Vegas and we were having dinner and Mackenzie on our team and Erin and I were her. having dinner. Oh, she's great. And I love the fact, <laughs> exactly, big hugs. She was just so willing. And here she was 24 years old at the time. I know. <laughs> And you essentially did an interview with her at dinner, which was so fun to watch because you were putting her on the spot about all sorts of things. And she, I thought she did pretty well. (laughs) I would hire her. Right. I would hire her. (laughs) Oh, wait, you did. Uh, Well, I think too, that there's an art to it. And that was, you know, it was really great because Colin was there with me who runs our residential division and he's seen it. And now they, there's this big joke that it's also really easy to know when I'm done with the interview and it's not going to work, right? So I've got my notebook out. When I drop the pen on my notepad, the interview's over for me. And so any of my employees are in the room, they know that that means wrap it up. If I have a pen with a cap, if I put the cap on the pen, and it go, that's when they know. So I think it's like really being upfront and honest with your team. And we all have our roles. And even in interviewing, like with McKinsey, it's the questions that we ask are to like pump them up. I don't, you know, during the interview, you don't want to tear someone down. You want to hear about the best of the best for them. Like, tell us about your most successful moment in your career. And I think we all deserve that when we interview and when we talk to people. Same thing with contractors, vendors, suppliers. Like, you want to go at it in a positive avenue. And then you'll kind of get to some of the tough questions. They'll come out. What I love about my experiences with you is I feel like no matter where you're at, if you're in your office or if you're on an interview or if you're even just thinking of considering someone, you keep them on their toes through the whole lifetime <laughs> with you, right? That's that's definitely, uh, I've noticed I've, you're like, yeah, sometimes I just call people up. Sometimes well, I just ask them questions yeah. that they're not even thinking of. And I love that because that really shows your character and it shows that you're really trying to get to understand the person, especially if you're going to go into a relationship that with them a working relationship with them where, you know, you guys are working on big goals and achievements and problems every day. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have Gail by my side problem solving, right? Right. <laughs> there's days that I have the solution and there's days that Gail has the solution. And and even this morning we were like, we'll just table that till this afternoon and maybe we'll, we'll yeah. have it figured out by then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, right. Isn't that what the journey is about? Right. I think is every, everyone really knowing their strength. And that's, that's a big piece of what the company's built on for us is if, if you're good at something, mm, probably not going to want you to focus on it. Now, if you're great at something, that's what we want you to focus on in our company. And that really is kind of the mantra is that if you're great, then that's what you're going to work on. 
if it's something and a skill you don't really have, we're probably not the right company for you to be a part of for training wheels. It's, you know, I just, it's something that I don't really believe in. I do firmly believe that it starts from the interview and it goes all the way through the client experience. And that's the hard part too, is someone who's up and coming in their career. So they're in year two or two to six, and they've not had a lot of client experience, especially with our commercial and hospitality. Um, the, you know, it's, it's very unnerving to meet with some of the you know largest landholders and billionaires, the top 10 billionaire in the company, I mean, in the country is one of our clients. And that's hard when that designer wants the experience of presenting to clients and they're going to get eaten up, but you know, they're not going to believe it until they see it, until they feel it. So, I mean, I, we usually try to budget, you know, for our trips that are long distance to take all levels of staff so they can experience it and see it. Cause again, we've got to move from good to great. Otherwise we have to cut and move on. And, and that's just how it is. It's if you want to learn, and I've had employees who will go off on their own and take on software and to really develop it. We also pay for a lot of training and development. I mean, I, I don't, I think we spent over 28,000 last year in training and development for the employees. So those are, that's on them though, right? They have to want to do it. We don't really try to like squirrel someone into a slot, something we need if they don't really have that skill or aptitude. So what would you say is one of your biggest life lessons that you've experienced that helps you run your ship the way that you run it? A ship? Oh, I love ships. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, one more time, Aaron, you lost me. That was a good question, but oh yeah. my gosh, so, I don't think of- trying to get to the question of what is your biggest life lesson that you've experienced, but you've been talking a lot about your business and running yeah. your team. So okay, obviously yeah. that life lesson goes into it, which would be, I think you're talking, I'm trying to get to that place where you're yeah. yourself out in front and placing fear where it belongs. Yeah. I would say for me, the biggest piece that I definitely think what pushes us forward is it's not only the momentum of where we're headed in the company, but it's also just move forward, right? I think so many of us just get caught up in the, how, how do I move forward or what do I do next? And that's really part of it, right? Is, you know, we've, we've all just got to move forward. And that is probably the biggest thing. I know I'm a risk taker. We've talked about this many times and I, I know you guys have heard me speak, but you know, I'm not always an early adopter. I'm an early adapter adapting and being agile is really the key probably to the success of our company. I love that. And you know, what's really interesting. You made a comment just a second ago about you need to have momentum, you're moving forward. But what I find fascinating is that when I asked you some questions in advance, that you said that you're not much of a goal setter, that you're not much of a dreamer. So how does that Mm -hmm. work if you're not much of a goal setter or dreamer? How do you do? So didn't hear a word you said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Good question. You know, there's, oh, this is horrible. And I think you and I have talked about this, Gail. And Aaron, you know me very well. <laughs> I'm not a goal setter. I don't have goals. And I know that that's probably not, maybe that's maybe not very inspiring for others or, you know, it's hard to latch on to what's the reason. And, and I did have an employee and I still have it in my, on my desk, even here at home. Three years ago, she asked me, why do you do this? What's the drive behind the company? And that's hard for me. I don't know. And I've, I've not, I purposely probably haven't taken time to explore that. Gail, I'm sure you can analyze that all day. Um, <laughs> Let's have a therapy session right Let's now. Let's break that down. <laughs> right? Oh, here we go. Yeah. It really is about moving forward. And I think that when it comes down to it, the number one piece is what's the deliverable to our client? 
what are we actually set out to do? What's our responsibility? And how are we going to deliver the best we can to our commitments? And that's my drive. That really is the drive for us to move forward. I also know, you know, I had an attorney tell me quite a while back, probably in the first few years of my business, that it is my responsibility as a business owner to be fiscally sound. If you're going to take on employees and you're going to hang a sign out on the door and say you're a business, it is our responsibility to be financially sound and to provide for others. And if we're not able to run a profitable company, it's not a company. And I think that really stuck for me. And a lot of my drive is about being fiscally sound. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting to me. I was doing some research this weekend and I saw a statistic that just shocked me. I could not believe this. It said that only 40% of all businesses are profitable. What do you think about that? 40. 40%. Wow. Well, 30% 30 are losing money and 30% are breaking even. So that is a shocking, shocking thing to me because, of course, we're focused on helping people be profitable and helping them scale their businesses. And so to me, to read that about the statistics for the whole U.S., that's hard to believe. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little shocked. I do know, I also have this odd belief that people really do juggle their financial reporting around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that for me, I'm probably not, you know, I, I don't have the largest salary probably in the industry. I'm very, very, very fair to my employees. And I really want them to have the best health care they can. I want them to have the best benefits they can. Those are my drivers for the company. And I made a decision, you know, my director of finance, Brian, that you guys have met, mm-hmm. you know, we made a decision three years ago to start covering all benefits for the employees. And it is, uh, it's considered a platinum coverage. It's the best that we can buy. It's not a catastrophic. And that was, you know, I didn't know in the early days of my business, when I bought my first, you know, policy for the, I think first three or four employees, it was like, it had a $5,000 deductible. Young people aren't going to go to the doctor if they got to pay the first 5,000, because they're never going to hit 5,000 in a year, unless catastrophic something happened. And, you know, so we made a big decision three years ago. I knew, and as all of us know, there's going to be a blip in the economy. There's going to be a hiccup. There's going to be some sort of recession or you know, financial struggle that's going to hit all of us at some point. And I knew that if I didn't have maybe the highest salaries, but if I had the best benefits and I really took care of people, that would stick with us. And I probably wouldn't ever pull those benefits back from an employee, no matter what happens to the company. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of where we're at right now. Is You know, it really is moving forward. And I, I'm not sure like how to process that all of those businesses are losing money continually or to not be profitable. It's hard to process. I don't understand it. I don't either because the purpose of uh, having a business is to generate a profit. That is the true purpose. And the purpose of having employees is for them to generate profit for you. And so therefore, looking at it from the outside, I think I love the idea that people care about their employees. And I do, for sure. I have a lot of empathy for my employees, but I also have to be realistic about it. And so do you. And so does everybody Mm -hmm. that's listening. You have to make money in the end. You have to make some hard decisions, which I know you just did as well, just during the last couple of months. And 
you're the one that said to us, I'll never forget this in February when we were in Portland and we had our two boardroom groups there and you said to them, and I heard this indirectly because I was not in the room at the time. And Aaron, you could probably speak to this, but you had said that this pandemic is going to come to our country and we're probably going to face some really big decisions about having to lay people off or cutting our budgets and making some big changes. Do you remember that, Erin? I do. And I remember sitting there and I was like, wait a minute, like I need to be listening to this because Garrison's saying it. And I know he's such a like, you know, you're always moving forward in your thoughts and such a thought leader. And I'm like, wait a minute, like this is happening in China. Like, what is he talking about? And you're like, yeah, you know, and I think one of the things you had said is that you had stopped ordering items that were coming overseas. And that was one of the first steps that you could take. And I just kept thinking, I'm like, we just started our year. And it's going to be great. And this is one of my first business trips that I've been, you know, and I've been looking forward to this. And I think that it was just a little scary to me to see that you were taking it so seriously. And I, I know that Gail and I talked the other day, we were like, you know, we were ready to send Gail off to San Francisco, which we did. And when she got back from that, we sent her to New York, which we did. I know. And she ended up having to come back early. And like now, just in reflection, I was like, oh my gosh, like Garrison knew this was coming. Like, and that brings us back to the whole, you know, idea of you've got to be able to listen to the people that you trust that are willing to do the what ifs. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're always, you're always able to see kind of the future. I wish we had a crystal ball, but you're always able to kind of be ahead of the game as far as what, what ifs you need to be thinking about next. And I love the fact that bringing it back to your employees and your benefits packages, you know, we are in this incredibly trying time right now and God forbid Mm -hmm. they get sick and you're still able to, to make sure that they have that. So I think that that's incredible. Yeah. I think that, you know, we, you have to, as an entrepreneur and as a leader, we have to have our ear down to the ground and it's in different avenues. And I think it goes beyond our industry and probably, you know, I, I'm not the most knowledgeable person. If you were to ask me to name off my top 10 most inspiring interior designers in the world, it's probably not my drive, right? I probably don't know that like others or fashion. I'm, I'm not that tuned into certain things, but I love the world of business. I love the, um, just the understanding of our chain supply, you know, it's supply chain, sorry. But to really think about where do things come from? And many people don't, they really don't understand where askew comes from. And uh, for me, I knew early on in January, it's everything we gauge for when we're buying, you know, and specifying these large amounts and quantities of materials. China shuts down for New Year's, for their New Year's. And there's, it could be 10 to 14 days. But when we started hearing that there was, you know, this pandemic that actually was now, it could stretch into 30, 45 days, the factories would be shut down. I kn- I'm like, they can't stop this. We, we're not prepared. And so I believe I put my business continuity plan team, so five leaders within our company, we put them together and our first meeting was, uh, on the 13th, I started talking about it. On the 26th, I believe was our first meeting. And at that point, I'm fortunate that my leadership believes in me and they listen and they don't think I'm too cuckoo because I know a couple were like, huh? But it was really great because we were able to mobilize all employees to work uh, remotely by March 13th. And, you know, it was a big deal for us to have continuity in our business. 
so that they could actually work remotely and have all of their applications and systems. Cause we weren't, you know, I don't spend a ton of money probably outfitting and, and toys and technology. I love technology, but I don't always buy a new computer for everyone every year. Like that's just not my thing. And so it's a lot of this goes back is that we just have to face fear. And, you know, you guys have heard me say it, you put fear in the corner where it belongs. Like it's just ridiculous to let something get in front of you like fear. It's, you got to put it behind you and move on. And a lot of this listening to what is going on in the business and the world is to think about the things that could affect you or your client base. And that's what I always have to think about in housing and commercial and hospitality is how is this going to affect us? So quick question. Um, when you talk about putting fear where it belongs, what is your system that you use when you identify that the fear is coming in and that you need to put it where it belongs and you need to lock it back up? Oh yeah. It's, it's tough, right? Especially if, if uh, first of all, I'll tell you before I answer that, but it's really easy for me to get in front of it. When I see fear creeping into others, that is something I'm very tuned into with my team and to really try and catch fear early for them and to provide security for them. That is something I have to provide. And I think then what it does is it probably starts kind of help reinforcing for me. I just got to move that to the side and it's, look for the solution, right? And that's one of the big mantras for me that I learned early on in my career in retail was you've got to find the solution. We've got to be solution oriented. We can't always react. And so we have to proact. And a lot of this in business is not knowing what your next step is. And I'm okay. I, I want to be considered an explorer. You know, I want the journey to unfold in front of me. I'm okay with it. That doesn't work for everyone. Yeah, I definitely like to plan things out. And then others times I'll be like, Kill, I like I can't even make up a plan for this, you know. So one of the things I do when I find fear coming in is I just have to start making a list so that I can see the direction that I need to go, that I can just keep moving yeah. forward, even if it's just a small thing that I can do that day to get towards the, the goal or the the output that I'm looking for. So mm-hmm. that's well, I think oh, go, go ahead. ahead. You go. Well, what I love about what you said was that you're being proactive and you're getting it into action. I think that's so critical for people to do that, especially in difficult times like this, when you don't know what's coming next. But the reality is you never know what's coming next. And so even though we are now aware we've got a pandemic, what's coming next? We don't know. It could have another spike in a couple of months, and we don't know what's going to happen outside of that. We can guess, but we're not going to have those answers. So I think what I'm hearing from you, and I think what you do so well, is that you think about things in advance, and then you have the what-if scenarios, and you think them through so that you have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, and you're putting things in place in advance of having to deal with those. And that's pretty unusual among the business owners that I know. Mm-hmm. Well, good. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yeah, it's hard for me to self-analyze. And I know that I'm, I mean, there used to be a really big joke about me probably 25 years ago when, I, when we were first developing um, the operations of Old Navy. I was always the worst case scenario. And one of my employees even bought me this book from Sweden that was about worst case scenarios, like everything would go wrong no matter what you do in life. But I think for me, if I just address it really, you know, quickly, of course, we're going to have a bigger breakout. Of course, my staff is still going to work from home. But so are my clients. Like we already know. And the great thing about where we're at today is and what we're facing, there's no fear. We're not, you don't have to worry about recession coming. 
it's already here. Mm-hmm. So now we just get to move on. Right. And so I think that is, that's something that I'm kind of latching on is that we're already in the middle of it. Whatever we're facing, we're here. It's done. Okay. There's no boogeyman, right? No one's under the bed. No one's going to wait underneath your car. Like all those crazy things you've heard about, like those aren't going to happen. It's here. Done. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you move forward? Right? right. And I think that anyone who's been through a tragic situation in your life, whether it's you, your family, your property, your health, you know, I think for me, like I, my family home was flooded when I was a teenager and it was a horrible thing for my family. I mean, it just kind of breaks my heart a little bit to think about my mom. I can remember my mother's reaction, you know, and as kids, we had a bi-level house. I can't even think of that for a second, but we walked downstairs and there was a hundred year flood and a part of town that had never flooded before flooded. And I mean, it took away everything from us. We had, you know, we were a family that loved to travel. We had a, a new RV. It was only two weeks old. There was, you know, trucks and vehicles and we walked into water and I'll never forget my mother's face and her crying, how everything was ruined and gone. And, but now you figure out, pick up, move on. And I think that's part of what it is. And, you know, when I think back of that childhood memory, and even now as an adult, you know, in the last eight, 10 years, I felt a lot more comfortable asking family members and extended family members as some of my aunts and uncles and older family members would die. You know, I thought like, wait, I don't have any childhood photos. Like I need to ask them for photos because you know, we used to share where now we send emails and texts and videos and photos. The same thing used to happen, right? We used to mail photos all the time and all these great holiday cards. And so I started asking family members and it was amazing. I now have almost every photo from almost every birthday of my childhood um, from different. Yeah. And so that gives me a lot of hope. And it's little things like that. I have goosebumps right now that, you know, because we think that tragedy has hit and we'll never be the same and we'll never recover. We'll recover. We'll move on. Well, just like for you, you went through a traumatic brain injury too. And you said that was in your thirties and that was a difficult Mm -hmm. period of time. And for you to have done what you've done, you've accomplished so much in your life and to overcome that and to be the person that you are, I think is so incredible. And what got you through that? What helped you work through that whole process? Yeah. I think I was really fortunate that I had, you know, a life partner who's now my husband that believed in me. There's points of story that, you know, for two, three years, I don't remember at all. But, you know, one of the big stories I used to hear over and over and over, especially from Jay's family, because his mom came and lived with us to help take care of me, was how much, oh, I get emotional. It's crazy. I didn't think I would. <laughs> but how much Jay would emphasize to the doctors and the caregivers, like he's in there. There's, there's a really cool, funny guy in there. Like there's not like he will get beyond the sadness and the crying and the rocking and the shaking and all those outward physical pieces that I was going through. Jay believed in me somehow. And he somehow like is crazy. Like I think about how in the world did he convince the neurologist that there was this cool person inside when I was like flatlined, like there was no expression at all. They would tell jokes, they, nothing. There was no gleam in my eye, nothing. And so I, I think I took a lot of that and, you know, tried to turn that into like positive pieces. And, and there's a lot of, you know, deficits that I ended up with, you know, there, for months and months, they were trying to get me to work with my eyes and I was having a hard time where I injured my brain that it wasn't processing reading. And, you know, finally Jay was like trying to figure out the comprehension. He's like, I don't think you're comprehending what you're reading. And 
you know, and so they thought, oh, and Harry Potter was a really big thing back then uh, when I was going through this. And so, so they had me bring my book in to, to show the doctor what I was doing. And there's like hundreds of post-it notes everywhere, like all over the book on every page. And they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I, you know, I couldn't remember their names. I didn't understand it. I couldn't process it, you know? And so they started really trying to figure out like, well, you know what, things aren't going to be the same anymore. And so there's, you know, you, you know, you and I have talked about it. Like it, it's something I'm not totally proud of, but you know, I'm not a reader. You know, I don't really read books. I never really did before the accident. And, you know, now I found out that my, during those five years of recovery, I wasn't able to cognitively, cognitively process reading. It was something I just couldn't do. And so I, I, I gave that up. And I think that's what is kind of the drive in life is, is there's a lot of times you got to set something aside in your life and, and just let it be and move on. And, and that was part of, I think for me was, you know, I got to look forward to the good times. I got to look forward to contributing back to the household. And that was always kind of my thing is like, I want to make sure that I'm not a burden on Jay or my family. And that was kind of my drive was, okay, what, how am I going to contribute? And it was a slow process. One hour a day per week was my outing for many years. That was all I could sustain and the fatigue and all the therapy and that I was in. And so it's kind of the opposite now. Um, I love to work. <laughs> it doesn't turn off. And that's and totally I, fine. And look at what you've built as a result of it. And I know that this is a really stressful time for a lot of people, but I hope they get a lot of peace from this. The fact that you can overcome anything, especially during these times like the pandemic, because honestly, mm-hmm it makes you resourceful and it makes you fight for things and it gives you purpose if you can help other people. And that's one of the things that I think is so wonderful is to see you're still forging ahead and you're making the tough decisions you have to make, but overall you're still there and you have overcome many, many hard things. And I think that is amazing. I love how you reframed that where you're like, listen, folks, like the, the boogeyman, he's already here. We don't have to be scared of him anymore. Right. Like he's here. Right. We just he's have to in the house. how to deal with him now that he's here. Right. He's in the house. <laughs> um, right. It's like he's calling from inside or whatever that was. Right. It's like, he's here. Like, let's just get over this. And you know what? It, I, I think also that what I would tell people is, and, and especially you guys as friends and business owners is that we don't all arm ourselves with guns to fight the boogeyman, right? So mm-hmm. I would tell you that we don't all have to come with the biggest force that you could imagine. You don't have to have, you know, a tank behind you to overcome this. But also, you know, if he's in the house, I'm going to call the cops. <laughs> I'm not that brave. <laughs> so I would say too, that you should figure out like who is, who's going to stand by you? Who's going to serve you? And that's what we all have to rely on. And I think, too, when you reach out to someone else, you give back to them, too. And, and that's what I'm doing. I mean, we're moving forward. You know, and it is hard for me to talk about the really positive, great things that are going on in my business. It doesn't, it doesn't feel right. You know, it's hard to know that others are having great suffrage. And there's also components of my business that are completely decimated. I mean, they're in the ruins. But there's, there's some components of my business that, I mean... We were just, it's crazy talking about it yesterday. It's some of the highest numbers I've ever seen. Mm. But I'm seeing that across the country, Garrison. So that's a, that's a good thing that I can share is that mm-hmm. many of our clients are getting big projects. They're 
right back to where they were. And it's, although it's different, they have to function differently. They are successful in spite of all these things going on. So I think people have to believe that there is good stuff that can happen out of this. And hopefully for a lot of people, they did a reset and figured out what else they need to focus on to make their business better coming out of this. So I think that's all really great. So I'm going to ask you a question I think that is fun. And that is (laughs) the the last question, Garrison, that I'm going to ask you is who's going to be on that desert island with you if you end up stranded? Who or what? Really? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm a gadget guy. I got to have gadgets. I, I also have issues. Anyone that knows me knows I can't sit on a chaise lounge or on the beach at all. I just, I can't even sit in a, in a airport. So for me, it's definitely going to be, I mean, I'm going to like find the coolest gadgets I can. And I'm also, I think that, you know, it's, it's got to be Jay. It's got to be my husband. I'm, he is the one person that he keeps me grounded. He kind of puts me in my place. And also he is willing to support me no matter what the crazy ideas are. And I think that a lot of times it's just trying to figure out, you know, how do you take advantage of whatever situation you're in? And that's the big piece for me. Love that. Me too. Garrison, it's been so great catching up with you today. And do you have a few, like maybe, maybe three things that our listeners can take home with them to their businesses and and implement to help them get through this ever changing time right now? I would, I mean, I would definitely say that, now's your moment to really focus on what is your service that you can deliver to someone. And I think that it's really important for all of us to look at value. What is the value add? And sometimes that's a game of really going back in and digging into selling. You know, what we do in think our careers is we sell, we sell our services and we sell who we are. And those are the big components that, you have to figure out is, you know, how do you add some value? And you got to close the sale. Like it's on you. It is on you to close the sale and you have to muster up everything you can. Also examine, I would say examine if you've delegated that in the past, is the person who's taking the call, is the person who's answering the email, are they the right person right now? Because it is of a mindset that we have to close every sale we can right now. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been yeah. a pleasure as always. And we could probably talk for at least another 20 I hours. I know. <laughs> we miss you. We can't wait to see you. Oh, miss you guys. Wow. Sorry. I just spewed and thank you so much for spending time. I just, I admire you both. It's incredible to think the structure that you guys put into place and the care that you put into what a business really should be. So uh, thank you so much. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you so much and take care and we'll see you soon. 